cross, my quiver's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. Till I can get outside so I can fling a few. Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here, Bob the Bowhunter Borland, and Andy Ponce, Addictive Archery. What's going on, boys? Just hanging out, having a good weekend. Just had a big clam feed. Yeah, guys are down. A uh, bunch of my uh, traditional archers of Oregon brothers are down uh the coast yeah down your neck of the woods digging some clams in your backyard darn near yeah. in my backyard yeah we uh went out and shot some arrows this morning uh first light went up to the local 3d range and uh, they've got an all elk uh course there with uh bulls and spikes and That's cows awesome. and calves yeah, and awesome. everything was on the menu everything was on the menu <laughs> Shot some arrows. Did some Instagram stories. Yeah. yeah. Andy, Andy showed us how to do that. So, <laughs> Watch out. They're dangerous. <laughs> Keep an eye out. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. Uh, we even seen a live uh, herd of elk running around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in it definitely in elk country here. Um, and so then we decided uh, we shot some elk targets and... Seen some real elk. We might as well bring on the legendary elk hunter himself. And that's not Bob the Boy Hunter Borland. That's definitely, <laughs> definitely none of us, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, who, who, who do we got on today, Andy? Larry D. Jones, the legend. The rabbit. <laughs> yeah, the rabbit. That's right. <laughs> what a stud. What a stud. One of my childhood heroes, and I still, uh, to this day, look up to him. Like He is something else. Uh, yeah, I mean. Ball of energy, and yeah. 76 six years old. Yeah. yeah. Um, just uh, a wealth of knowledge, and just a guy that represents uh, traditional archery. Just a guy that represents hunting. Yes. Uh, in such a positive light. And uh, you can just see it. Just look at Larry. I mean, he's just, he just glows. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and we're going to go shoot arrows uh, tomorrow at the elk course with Larry. I am so excited. I get up in the morning, we're going to have breakfast, and we're just going to go shoot some 3D with Larry D. Jones. No yeah. big deal. <laughs> no big deal at all. No big deal. <laughs> it's another day of the life with the Trad Quest <laughs> <Yeah>. crew. <laughs> it is going to be something, that's, that's for sure. Awesome. I never would have dreamed that would happen. But like you said, he is positive guy and just a great guy to be around that's mm-hmm. for sure so yeah I'm, tr- I'm trying to get him to go elk hunting with me <laughs> <laughs> yeah we kind of tried to invite ourselves it didn't work yet <laughs> work on it tomorrow too <laughs> uh, making all kinds of empty promises <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes yeah <laughs> uh yeah but it's uh, yeah you guys will like this one so cool we we talked to you know talked a lot of elk fever elk fever baby he, he got the elk fever going for thousands and thousands of people starting way back, and it just hasn't gone away. 
No, they're still good videos to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I had him on episode one, as we talked about. I mean, he's just a guy that uh, I really look, looked up to from the very beginning. And it was amazing to uh, to get him on again, and I look forward to doing it a third time. Yeah, for sure. We we took up a lot more of the afternoon than I think we planned. We kind of almost late to dinner, <laughs> and we could have kept going forever. Yeah, I didn't want to stop. Lifetime of, yeah, me neither. I didn't want to stop. I was like, well, I guess we better wrap this up since the dinner bell's ringing. But <laughs> otherwise, I think we could have pulled another hour. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Larry D. Jones. We don't want to redo <laughs> not this just, one. Just not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the first time, uh, episode one um, with Larry, we were in his living room, and, and we had this little recorder, and we had to sit about spitting distance from each other. Yeah. <laughs> and and his uh, cat was doing figure eights between my – and you could hear him on the podcast <laughs> meowing. And, okay, yeah. And your wife was doing dishes, and the house was like 80 degrees, and I was so nervous. I was like sweating, and, <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, this is something else. You sounded else. pretty nervous on that. You got a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I thought you did pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds to me like I'm hot, sound-wise. Sound-wise? Okay. I don't know if I am, but it's... Yeah, he it's, does sound a little loud. Okay. I, I think I'm... You got it just else. a little bit too hot. Okay. And it's always better to have it not yeah. hot enough than too hot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Unless it's big bulls we're talking about. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, but you, you can't... When they scream, I'll... You can't really tell whether they're distorted or not because of their scream. Uh -huh. They're just going. <laughs> now, Bob, I can barely hear. <laughs> can you hear me? Can you hear me now? He, he sounds oh, it like depends he's on how you're going to talk. Are you going to get loud like Hello? I do sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> now I can get all excited bit. telling yeah. a story. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit, Bob. Hello, hello, hello. I'm talking. So ask me, ask me, ask me a question about the, the mouth tab. Okay. So, what do you do? You bite with your front teeth or your back teeth? The mouth tab. My. How do I say? Your side teeth. Your that's molars. Yeah. So, okay. so that's probably about how he'll yeah. sound. Yeah. Because I, I, my experience is, do me a sound check. Test, test, test. <laughs> <laughs> you know, test, 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 test. Yeah. And then it's like. Oh yeah! <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yep, that's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> we we haven't, you know, it's hard to do them in person. So we haven't. Yeah. How many have we done in person? <sighs> Four or five. You a lot of uh, phone stuff. Yeah. 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 Skype. Yeah. I don't know. We've probably done seven or eight in person, yeah. and and the other. Yeah, it's just a, too expensive to get all over yeah. the country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we're excited to be. Uh, here on the Oregon coast, uh, and we've got the legend right here, Larry D. Jones, in the house. Uh, we got Andy Ponce, addictive archery. Uh, as always, Bob the bow hunter, Borland. Uh, how you fellas doing today? Good, 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 good. 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 Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Just hanging out with yeah. Larry hey. D. Jones, no hey. big deal. <laughs> do you uh, do you know how uh, I got to be called the legend? You want to hear that? Story? Yeah, we yeah. yeah yeah for sure. Okay, so 
um, when I first met Dwight Shue, it was he was going to the University of Oregon and uh, studying journalism, naturally. And he called me up and he wanted to do uh, a story about Billy Cruz and myself hunting um, in the Minum. Okay. Anyway, he wrote this story, and <coughs> he called it the legends of <laughs> <laughs> of the uh, you know the mount the what's those mountain range called now eagle caps eagle caps yeah something like allow us yeah and so then I don't know well you're all stick bow shooters right uh -huh. yeah. okay yeah so Jim Brackenberry you know who Jim yeah was. yeah Jim and I were become friends and <coughs> and. Um, he would see me and he'd say, he'd say hey, legend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of mocking. The thing. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, the story of how it some stuck. people got. It's not that I did anything special. <laughs> <laughs> now, you met, you were over working for, was it Jim's wife? Yeah, Linda. Oh, Linda. Linda huh? actually married, um, remarried uh, my uncle's, one of his good friends, and I was over there doing a little side job for some hunting money, plumbing their house, and uh, you fireman. Yeah, <laughs> though this was before I was a fireman. Oh, I was really? Just a plumber, and yeah, and we got to talking to her, and she busted out the old photo albums of you guys in the eagle caps, yeah. and and we sat around one night, and it was just you know for me, I grew up bow hunting, you know, my whole family, and watching elk fever. That's still probably my favorite video. I still have it on. VHS and uh, I've got it on DVD. <laughs> yeah, I got one and two on DVD. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was just it was super cool. And and she said, and you'll have to tell us this story that uh, they called you the rabbit because you would wear out like three pair of shoes a trip. <laughs> so they called you Rabbit Jones. <laughs> well, actually, I think <coughs> the rabbit came from Jim. Jim was, you know, he's always seen these little sayings, you know. <laughs> and Dwight and I were hunting partners a lot. And Dwight's, you know, tall and long legs. And so he was a spider <laughs> and I was a rabbit. <laughs> hop up the hills and he was. <laughs> the spider and the yeah. rabbit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I wore these little, like, almost like tennis shoes. They were little, what's called deck shoes. And they had real soft soles on it, and I liked them because they'd grip on rocks and stuff, you know. They weren't really <laughs> the kind of a hunting shoe that I wear today, quite frankly. And uh, I remember, the only thing I really remember about that was, I think it was Linda's brother or cousin, or I think it was her brother. Does she have a brother? I don't know. Okay, anyway, we were in hunting camp, and I came in, took my shoes off, and then they they were so worn that it's almost coming through the soul. I took those babies off and they had a you know fire uh, uh, stove, wood stove there, and I chucked them in there. And she looked over at him and said, "See, see, I told you." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm kind of going like you know at that time I'm like, what? What did what she tell you? <laughs> <laughs> what years was that, Larry? I mean, oh about gosh, time. long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh don't remember probably in the early 80s i guess maybe yeah. late 70s yeah some good times heck yeah i bet packing into the 
Eagle Caps yeah. back then. You probably didn't see many people back there. Wasn't too many people <laughs> yeah. that were <laughs> foolhardy. <laughs> Wait, we what I used to do was uh, back then I would uh, hire an outfitter to drop campus, mm-hmm. and we would drop in. And uh, several years, uh, my family, my three kids, and and my wife and I would uh, hike in from Boulder Creek or Boulder Campground or whatever it's called, and uh, that was eleven mile walk. To wow. to the uh, where the Trail Creek came into the Minum, and that's where we camped. Uh, and one year was uh, Elk Creek, and that was another five miles down there. So that was a yeah. sixteen mile. And I remember my <coughs> Linda rode the horse up to meet us because they were in, at that Elk Creek campground. Well, campground. There wasn't any campground <laughs> camp yeah. area yeah. where we were <laughs> camped, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, my youngest daughter was 12, I think, and she was getting a little tuckered by that time. So Linda gave her, her and maybe one of my other kids a ride back in the camp. So we we had some good times in there. Oh, I bet. Was that around the time of the filming of uh, Elk Fever 1? Oh, no. That was uh, several years before that. Several years mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think everybody's ready for an Elk Fever 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, it's in the making. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've been approached by a couple, some guys that, so I don't want to say any more right sure. at this point yeah. because uh, I don't know if they want me talking about it until it's really formal. But uh, looks like maybe we'll have a chance to do something like that. They want to do it in the same format, you know, which is you know more like um, uh, me and you hunt going hunting instead of. Uh, uh, Talking to the camera. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you say me and you or me and him? <laughs> well, no, he pointed at me, Bob. Oh, dang it. <laughs> Did you just not see his finger? It was pointing right at me. I've got all the Roosevelt elk hunting spots yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is that true? Does he have all the Roosevelt? Uh, that's what he said. I yeah. keep hearing this. <laughs> but did he kill a bull last uh, year? No, no, he went. He went. Well, he went over to the Eagle Cap. <laughs> we drove down here, and I we've seen. I saw like twenty bulls on the way down here. I'm like, yeah. what are you doing driving I, to the Eagle Cap? I had, with to, elk I had to drive past a lot of elk <laughs> to bring that elk home. Not this year. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But so they're going to make it more of a uh, old school type hunting video, like. What do you mean old school? One. You're looking at <laughs> the first one. <laughs> you are old school. You're the king of old school. Instead of like the big, you know, production type thing. Is that what you're talking no, about? No, uh, it's it's just, if, I think uh, what he meant, what he said, uh, I'd like to do it in, you know, in the same t- type of format. Is, and the format is that you don't really, you, you sh- just like you do in the mo- they do in the movies, they don't um, talk to the camera. Gotcha. Uh, it, it's it's a, a style of uh, uh, I, I hesitate to say you and me mm. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you on uh, on yeah. audio here. Let, let, let me put it like yeah. my hunting partner. And I. Uh, <laughs> uh, my feelers are on the ground now. Or, or in this case, might be my son and I yeah. uh, go on a hunt. And the conversations and the informations transferred through our converse, conversations or a narrator. Yeah. Right. And I, the reason I like that style is 
you can build more of a excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that movies are so successful, or, or when you go to a movie and you really enjoy it, is because you get caught up. You become that person in that production. Yeah. And, th- and when that person gets sad, you get sad. If, if that person said something funny, you laugh with them, you know. And so I li- personally, I like that style. Yeah. Yeah, you for know, sure. It, it's, it's a little more difficult to do. Uh, but, you know, we, we are not actors. We're mm-hmm. just people that love to hunt and try to capture some of that action so other people can enjoy it with us, <clears throat> you know. So um, uh, we'll see how that comes out and, and whether that style will follow. But uh, that's what I think he meant. <coughs> Sounds great. exciting. Yeah. Make, sure you, make sure you pack like a banana in your pack where you could put the banana peel in your hunting partner's shoe or <laughs> – <laughs> that that's his classic <laughs> pine cone it was a pine cone wasn't pine, it? it was yeah. a pine cone but now yeah. i'm thinking banana yeah. pill yeah. for yeah. number okay. three he's okay. trying to you know make like elk fever three and you got this other stuff happening so you now you use a banana peel yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't know corny yeah. <laughs> we, we could probably make room for uh larry and um, uh wild horses and longbows yeah yeah we'll keep that down we can't tell oh, people can't about tell about our film <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome man and so let's go back to elk fever since it's the best hunting video made. At that time, like there wasn't other hunting videos out there. Like there wasn't very many. What was the camera gear like? Like I mean, you've been <laughs> doing it all the way along. Like wh- how did you guys do? That? I mean, because it was you guys nailed it. Yeah, we did that production. We actually uh, hunted, I believe, it was in eight nineteen eighty six in the production came out in 87 and uh the camera was about uh, was a little bit heavier than what you see these professional cameras <laughs> on tv <laughs> it weighed 20 pounds and then there was a wow. a, a uh, four pound block of you know battery mm-hmm. and then there was a two pound cable that went from the camera to a a deck that recorded the video so it was a, a vcr type of thing that weighed <laughs> about 16 pounds if i remember right and the, each battery for that weighed four pounds no two pounds wow no that, i'm sorry my memory's faded <laughs> <laughs> that was they're one pound batteries and you carried about f- four to six of those and so it was it was and then the tripod was um 12 pounds Jeez. and uh we did not have stabilization in those cameras because that camera, one back then, would probably cost another seven or eight thousand dollars to have to stabilize. Wow! And so, almost everything we shot was on tripod. Wow! So you th- if if you know anything about <laughs> hunting elk <laughs> yeah. with a camera. Oh, we hunted 18 days before we got the first elk on video. Wow. And back then there wasn't nearly as many people hunting, you know, bow hunting and uh, elk elk calling was just at the beginning stages, you know. There were everybody out there blowing on a call. So it was a lot easier to call them in. Mm-hmm. So um, 
And then uh, the total production, uh, Dwight and I also, beside hunting Oregon, we hunted into Idaho. We, we hunted 40 days. Wow. That's awesome. And it probably took me 40 days to edit that stuff. <laughs> 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 it took me a long time. Yeah. So you, ed- you edited uh, the first one? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did that um, in a studio in Eugene at Stafford Video. And I actually uh, took the footage to a company up in Portland that was a professional, you know, big-time studio. And they um, time-coded it all and made me a, a VHS copy of the time-coded video. And so I, I edited it in uh, VHS and wrote down all the, the time-code numbers. And then I went up there and I gave them the numbers and then they put it all together. Wow. It was uh, <laughs> a very expensive Something I've really probably never, <laughs> never really yeah. recovered. Has it ever paid for itself? I don't no. think so. <laughs> oh, this sounds like our podcast, yes. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't tell our wives. But yeah, it'll never pay for itself. <laughs> uh, now, how much time was in between uh, one and two? I think uh, we did two in. Um, 90 and 91. I think it came out in 92, something like that. I don't remember exact dates on it, but we shot that in, in two different years, too. Two different years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we got some pretty good Roosevelt footage on that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I'd like to see one of those step up in front of me today. <laughs> yeah. 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 <coughs> so, you know, I, I don't think a lot of guys... Or viewers really realize how difficult it is to get video of you know these elk coming in. They are such a, an alert uh, animals. You know, it's it's um, things have just got to be just right. Yeah. You fail a lot. You fail a lot. Yeah. So, but it, but it just adds to the challenge. You know, I I, yeah. I love doing it. You know. So was the failure um, because of the cameras? Like, did it increase the difficulty fifty percent? Or, I mean, how how many times? Did ten you times. Guys, ten times where you got screwed and you're like, <laughs> it was because of the camera. Well, it's it's not it's not only the, uh, is partly it, back then it was the, the weight of the equipment stuff. It it's a two man operation. Actually, like when we did Elk Fever, my son Steve carried the camera in a, in a pack, and um, I carried a bunch of batteries and stuff, and I, and I had a cameraman that uh, carried the uh, the deck and stuff on his back, and and then you you got your survival stuff and <laughs> you know and your elk bags and all the normal stuff that you carry, which for me is about twenty five thirty pounds. Right. Uh, so. Just physically, it was demanding, and then uh, then you can't really cover as much ground, and you know. But just the fact that you get set up in the right spot, and the bull might, you know, come out walking out, and instead of coming directly at you, and all those sort of things that cause you to fail, you know. Was was doing this in wilderness areas, you know, baby style. Uh, more challenging than hunting the Roosevelts on the coast in the thick brush, like 
the Roosevelts on the coast uh, are a huge challenge just because of where they live. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if if that's any more of a challenge. Some in some cases it's it's to your advantage because they can't see you before they pop out. Right. You get getting the footage of them, you know, like a bull walking across the meadow and stops and bugles, and, you know, all those things that you kind of like Oh, that would be so cool! You know, yeah. <laughs> where was the camera? Did you see that? You know, yeah. that stuff uh, just doesn't happen much. You know, yeah. when you're hunting Roosevelt's, they might come across the clear cut or something like right. that, right. or you get some footage of a herd out in there. That's fairly common, but you get those close encounters. Um, a lot of times, they're just too much brush to even get a, get video of it, and, or it's a roll in the hill and the guy yeah, who's hunting can see it and make the shot, but you can't get it on such the, a jungle. It's hard to even yeah. get an opening for an arrow. <laughs> I love the challenge of it. I, going over to the Eagle Caps last year, it's beautiful. You know, it's gorgeous country, a mm-hmm. uh, little underbrush, but there's something special about these coastal Roosevelt bulls. Um, you know, as ugly as this country is to move through in the blackberries mm-hmm. and find maple and all that. Uh, there's just something about them. Um, how how do you feel about you know the difference between the two? Oh, I think <coughs> I think uh, what you said is true. It's 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 just a it's a challenge, and a lot of the people that have hunted Roosevelt elk claim that they don't bugle as much. Hmm. Okay, and I don't think that's necessarily true. I I believe it's this that. Because of where they live, which is in areas where it's, a lot of it's really steep and broken, you know, other words, there's a, there's valleys and draws, and and with all the vegetation, it absorbs sound, and so, you know, you could you could be calling elk right right here, and then just move up up to the crest of a a little knoll or, well, hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a steep hillside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and pop over the top, and a bull will be right there. Be, so since the sound travels in a straight line, you just don't hear them. Yeah. And so what I've always told people is when you're hunting Roosevelt elk, call into every nick and cranny. You know, if the contour changes, call. And I don't know how many times I've done that, and boy, they're just boom right there. Mm. Once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last 50 years. Yeah. yeah. The last 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like there is times where definitely, you know, you're lucky to get and, you know, hear anything from a couple hundred yards, you know. Yeah. They're down in that thick stuff and unless a lot you're, of little ridges. Unless you're on a, a hillside that is this vast canyon. And you can hear them a mile or so straight across. Yeah. yeah. But you can have one 100 yards over the crest, and if you're not really listening carefully. Right. Yeah. You won't yeah. see it yep. or hear it. Mm-hmm. So since we're kind of getting into the elk <coughs> tactics, you've been doing it for 50 years plus, right? Yeah. Like, let's talk about how it's changed over the last 50 years. I know you've hunted everything else in the world, but let's just try to keep it on elk and talk about you know, the difference is I know back in the 80s, you know, like, like you were saying, it, you get a lot of guys that say, well, the elk aren't educated. They, they're they not that smart. But you hear guys like you, like, they were just a lot easier to call back then. Yeah, they were. And um, 
And so, like, let, let, let's go over it. You know, like, how did it change? How's it changed since 85, 86 during the elk fever days? Well, <coughs> it's changed just from the standpoint that there's more hunters, more hunting pressure. And um, everybody that's watched elk fever is like, <coughs> bought them my elk call. <laughs> <went out> there. <laughs> I've been blamed. So it's your fault. <laughs> I've been blamed. Hey, I have, if you would have done it, somebody else would have. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, they are just like, I mean, humans in many ways. And one of the ways is, I mean, if you punch me in the mouth, <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to try to do it again, right? And and they have been taught that if they come to a, a, a bugle lots of times, uh, they can get encountered with humans, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just think they, bec- they have become educated. Because uh, <clears throat> if you go, if you get the, a chance to maybe hunt a, a huge piece of property that's private and people aren't hunting it, they're a lot easier to call in. Yeah. yeah. So if you know any, let like me know. Primos, <laughs> like those Primos videos? <laughs> well, yeah. That's, yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're smart. Yeah. They they realize that, you know, we need to get some encounters and, and kill some elk to, to have a show. Yeah. And so they might pay a few thousand dollars to get to yeah. hunt that property and um, not all of us can do that. You know? Yeah. But... I think that's smart, and they get a a show out of it, and and these shows are expensive to make. So yeah, uh, so I think it's that, and um, uh, when we talk when we talk about there's more hunters, I know a lot of a lot of times we hear the you know the that there's less hunters in in the world everybody's talking about we need to keep it up there's less hunters but it sure does seem like during (laughs) archery season (laughs) there's not getting to be less and less hunters like maybe speak to that a little bit well that's true uh there are more hunters uh, bow hunters out there now and i think that it's just a matter that there's enough people have um become aware of what a great sport we have. Yeah. You know, yeah. that people like challenges. I like challenges. That's mm-hmm. I'm a challenge-orientated. I really right. am. And uh, you actually, <laughs> if you're my hunting partner and we're failing, you don't want to be <laughs> hunting with me because <laughs> I just grind it harder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get up earlier, go further, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so, and, and also, th- there's, there's the factors of technology. You know, the, one of the reasons there's more bow hunters, how many want to pull a stick bow like we do? Yeah. You know why? Because they can't be successful. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a few of us that are <clears throat> just as, ex- well, maybe not just as successful, but are pretty darn successful. Mm-hmm. You know, we we get game regularly, and, and uh, but we work at it harder. Yeah. And... The the hunting with a, a recurve or a stick bow of any sort sur- certainly limits the distance that you can shoot accurately. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So one of the reasons we I think we have more bow hunters is the event of the compound bow. And 
carbon shafts and you know all the stuff that yep. sites and stuff and releases that allow people to shoot further and you know i i want to poo poo those long shots that people are taking it's yeah. <coughs> but i think that <coughs> anyway for me i shouldn't say us or that sort of thing but for me um i love the challenge of getting really close my excitement level just soars when i <coughs> you know yeah, get in right. there and i know at 20 yards and under mm, they're, yeah. they're starting to get yeah. into a troubled yeah. <laughs> distance <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it's, and it's, so and for these other guys you know it's 50 yards it's maybe double oh yeah of what i can accurately shoot yeah you know? for sure and uh I try to be as good a shot as possible. You know, I practice daily and almost uh, right now with my shoulder problems that I've had and gaining strength, I, I've been shooting uh, three to four times a week um, nice. trying to get my strength back up. And I think my shooting's starting to come around. So awesome. I've had I've had a little bit of a couple of years of some misses and... <laughs> Hey, I, I um, even hate to say that word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> misses. The, the legend misses? What? <laughs> yeah, I've I seen some of my friends. Only when he's shooting uh, with his teeth, I guess. <laughs> 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 I've seen some of my friends take a little glee in that. <laughs> yeah, that. That elk fever will do it to you. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. So, Definitely. So with, uh, with more people in the woods, more pressure, <clears throat> how has your calling changed from – from back then to now? I mean, do you still kind of go out it the same way? Or are you still? No, I think, I think I've changed a little bit there. Um, I do, do, typically I do lots of calling, you know, mm -hmm. and I think the reason is I'm not afraid to call. And I think a lot of people are afraid to call nowadays because they've yeah. seen, they've seen uh, where maybe even did a, a cow calf saw sound and the, and the elk leave, you yeah. know, because they've been educated or they've had encounters earlier, you know. Um, but I have faith. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that if I can <clears throat> get a bull to commit and come to me, I have a much higher chance of getting an arrow in that bull and in the right spot uh, than I do if I just sneaking around trying to get on him. They are incredibly sharp animals. Mm -hmm. All their senses are just on high alert and uh, really difficult to get up close enough, especially with a stick bow. Yeah. <coughs> so um, <coughs> my my technique, gee, I almost hate to say this on this. <laughs> are you going to give us a secret? <laughs> secret sauce, come can't on. can't have the legend secrets. <laughs> I don't, we I don't edit wanna, some of this. I don't want a bunch of other legends out there hunting my elk this year, yeah. so let's, let's <coughs> give us what you can. Well... <laughs> That's like um, years ago, uh, Dwight and I were starting, just starting to use cow calls with mouth calls and that sort of thing. We were really having some good success, you know. <coughs> and Dwight says, you know, Larry, we, we shouldn't tell people about this. He says, because, you know, it might be detrimental to elk hunting. I said, yeah, yeah, you know. And about a month later, Jim Zumbo wrote an article about <laughs> E-A-L-K, elk calls. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> there's nothing new. Yeah. Uh, but um, <clears throat> my technique nowadays is 
I like to hunt early. The very first day of the season is my best day of hunting because nobody's been messing with them. Okay. Or if you've been out there calling yeah. during, during before season, you're messing with yourself. Right. Just yeah. do not do it because you're just educating him that this is coming from hunters. And, and we don't sound exactly like elk. I don't care who, how good you are. They can tell the difference. Yeah. And may, they might get cranked up and get a little foolish now and then. And you, but it yeah. mostly, the bulls that you mostly call in nowadays are the younger bulls, a year, year and a half, two and a half years old, um, that are branch antlers. But they haven't been educated that much. You can take one of those big old sharp, you know, five, six, eight, ten, twelve-year-old bulls. They right. sometimes don't even answer. They just right. turn and go away. You know, they they've learned to their lessons yeah that's kind of what i was referring to when we were talking before the podcast about the season starting kind of early now and i kind of like that opening day when it's a little bit later because i feel like they're just a little bit more ready for it and they haven't been messed with so Mm -hmm. you get in there and quite a bit of action yeah so since i'm starting i like to start early I normally pick a spot. I mean, I, I, I'll call lots of times just in every little nook and cranny, but maybe start out with just a couple little soft calf calls and, and uh, not hit it really hard that much. Just call in the, some spots, maybe a soft bugle, nothing really growly and, you know, that sort of thing. <coughs> but I'd like to pick a spot once I find that there's tracks, you know, there's some elk tracks, and there's some some sign. Usually they like to bed up on the north and northeast slopes, and I'll, I'll pick one of those that the wind's flowing up to me. And then I'll just sit, I'll just carefully pick a spot where I could see them coming maybe from, from, from somewhat of a distance. Sometimes that's hard, you know, 100 yards a lot of times in, in the woods is but a ways and then I will actually um, cut out a few limbs and stuff so if one comes in I won't be hitting the branch kind of like I'm set up where I know there's an elk there Mm -hmm. because I do know there's an elk there (laughs) because there's the tracks and stuff but I don't know exactly where they're at (coughs) and then I'll start out with calf calls and if you don't know the difference between a calf and a cow sound, there is a difference. And and the calves do more of a meh, 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 meh. You know, the cows are more like meh. But, uh, and I do them, I start out kind of soft. And my theory is that I'm going to work this area with cow-calf sounds for quite some time. I mean, uh five, ten minutes, and it can be almost continuous, but of course I, I make a few call, calf calls, and then I'll wait and listen, you know, and then I'll do some more, then maybe start mixing calf and cows, and try to kind of build a um, tempo of excitement, in other words, from zero excitement up to maybe a little bit more of a, not a frenzy, but you know, like something's happening. 
And after I've done that for 10, 15 minutes, I might slip in a little simple type of bugle, like as a small. Squeal. Yeah. yeah. Not, necess- not necessarily a squeal, because squeals more, you know. Right. But just a little soft, you know, not really getting in on the low notes or anything, just nice little, actually, I usually go, like that, I guess, <laughs> without my calls. <laughs> uh, and uh, the other thing, and uh, often, I'll stay there for at least a half an hour doing this, sometimes as long as an hour. And I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting there going on for 40 minutes or something, and a bull answers. Now I, I'm pretty sure he's heard me all along. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think you have to stir those inner emotions that those elk have or those bulls have towards the rut that something's happening up there and you know and and sometimes they'll come see now it doesn't mean that they'll always come right up to you but i've had <coughs> i was t- i was um telling james me earlier that a couple of years ago I set up on a slope like that and put a hunting partner down in front of me. And I just made probably 10 or 15 calf calls, just kind of a little series, you know, type things. And I heard the breast crack way down in there. Aha. Uh-huh. There was no bugling, nothing like that. And so I kept. I waited a little while and did some more, and then I could t- hear the cr- brush cracking, so I was on the camera because my cameraman got sick. <laughs> 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 and after about 10 minutes, here comes these two bulls. Well, actually, I only seen one of them, and he came in and came to like seven yards of my hunting partner, and I waited there holding that camera so still because I knew he was going to shoot this bull because I told him, you're not going to get a lot of chances to shoot the first branch antler bull. And he wasn't shooting. He didn't shoot. And finally, the bull turned left. I went, what? <laughs> I was actually kind of ticked off because <laughs> I, I like to shoot him too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Stuck on this camera mind, the whole time. <laughs> I don't mind calling him in for yeah. you. But anyway, um, and of course, I went down. He, I go like, what's what's going on he said uh he said i got greedy he said there was a big six probably like a 320 bull mm-hmm. 19 yards down the hill oh. he just needed to take another step and you know so there's three bulls no there's okay. two bulls oh, two i just bulls. i just seen the, see one. the one okay yeah. uh. and he had this one seven yards away and i'm thinking man <laughs> seven yards i can usually hit him <laughs> that's in my wheelhouse right yeah, there right. <laughs> so anyway that's just one example that happened quick but lots of times, you know, uh, the bully killed that same year. I called for 20 minutes to half an hour and was about to give up when a bull answered me. And uh, that was an unusual situation. The bull, we actually, I thought, 
uh, it's only about an hour till dark. We need to move on these bulls. You know, we may get closer. So I said, get your bulls and your packs. Let's go. So we got our packs out, and I thought, I'll give it one more little quimpy bugle. And I, I called, and that bull was half the distance. Wow. I said, he's coming. Like yeah. the, both the other guy, the cameraman and the other guy were like, what? What? Said, he's coming. Get the packs off. He said, he's coming. Get set up. <laughs> and by the time he got set up, he just settled down, and he just started to put an arrow across the bow, and, and I made a couple of calf calls and the bull bugle, and he was about 100 yards, and he, they trotted in. Uh, wow. Into six yards, and but he was moving, and it, they bust out a little ways, and I cow called, and he stopped, and he shot him at 38 yards. So. Nice. So, <laughs> so that tactic of just building it up and, and sitting, waiting a half an hour, 40 minutes, like – do you, when when do you change that through the season? Like when the bulls start responding more, or do you keep doing that well, throughout yeah, yeah. the season, depending? I don't know if I change that much. Yeah, if once you know, once you hear hear bulls starting to bugle and stuff, maybe get a little more aggressive with it. But um, there's people that claim they're a lot smarter than I am about this, and uh, they change tactics. But I I don't too much. Uh, just because of their education. Yeah. And uh, actually, after about the 15th of the, of the September, mm -hmm. it's really tough calling milk in. Yeah. Because everybody, the brother, thinks that's the time they're rutting, and you get all this just people everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. <coughs> um, that's why I like it early. I like being in the woods without many hunters um that and you know i uh i'll cover a lot of ground even doing that not as much as i used to but um the key is getting in where the elk are covering ground till you find that fresh yeah. sign fresh you sign you know where they're at rubs and, and stuff up on mm -hmm. it yeah but i'm beginning to think i know nothing about elk <laughs> 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 yeah they, or i forgot it all i'm yeah. not sure <laughs> i i know on the coast range the rubs really dictate um where i'm at like i'm almost looking for the rubs more than anything if i can yep. find a rub if i've been in an area and there's no rubs and the next day even on a main line i see rubs and man my my percentages are going way up i'm getting the bugle tube out and it seems like if you can find those fresh rubs, they're usually really close. Yeah, I, I, that's absolutely correct. I I feel the same way. Um, the reason for that is, in these coastal elk, they probably live in five square miles right. at the most. And <clears throat> the only thing that's going to make them move is you. Right. Or, you know, other hunters. They'll push them, and, they, and then they don't go a long ways. They'll just maybe go over the top of a ridge into a different basin or canyon. But And it's almost like they're very territorial in this, mm -hmm. like you said, in this small range. They almost don't want to go to the next drainage because there's another group of six or seven over there. And it's Or, like, you know, in areas where there's a good number of elk, that's true. I right. Think. But other areas where the, maybe the bull-cow ratio is not as good or right. there's not as many elk, that's, yeah. Do you have any tips for telling how old the rubs are? I mean, how do you know a rub that happened within the last 
24 hours versus a rub that happened a week ago. Well, they could be two or three miles away, and you're thinking yeah. they're right there. Um, I would. Th- the only thing you can do is, I mean, if they're they're still wet, they're just right. fresh. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty obvious. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, the you check the bark and stuff, and sometimes it's all dry and crinkly. It's probably at least several days old. Yeah. You know, but I don't think there's any other way. Of, uh, the other thing is, you really can't tell how big the bull is. I mean, you know, if he's if he's a big eight pointer or what he's you can probably tell he's not a spike, you know, but <laughs> 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 because uh, in how big the tree is, you know, I don't know if I could say, oh, that's a really big bull. Now, you know, you, I've seen trees that were probably 18 inches in diameter that were ripped up and there's white on both sides of the tree. <laughs> it's probably not a spike. <laughs> right, right. <Yeah. laughs> I, I we like to think it's a monster, yeah. I've uh, settled in for like a napping area um, in the past and took out my pocket knife and scraped the tree a bunch and just watched like from, and alders are different than willows, they're different than firs, but just kind of watch that tree as it turned. If you're going to be in, in the area for a little bit, and you can kind of see what a fresh rub when you rub it. Wow. And then what an hour later, what it looks like. And then you come back through there the next day and what it looks like. And I, I kind of taught myself. Yeah, I haven't you know, gone to that extent. I look at the, the pine needles, and I, I think Bob's one showed me that one. Look at the pine needles it, and see if they're dry and, and, you know, and see what it looks like, what they knock down. Right. Oh, yeah, when the branches have been broken right. off. Now, yeah, so yeah, how sure. dry are they? Or right. Do they still look fresh? But, I, you know, stuff. after a couple of days, I don't know if you can tell. Right. right. But uh, I, I still think that, that, James, you're absolutely right about – you know, when you start finding rubs, there, yeah. there's a, there's a bull that's going to kind of living in that area. <clears throat> and when I when I find that on Roosevelt's, I hunt that area more carefully and harder. Right. You know, I'll come back to it several days in a row and and hunt in the surrounding area because I know there's a bull there. Uh-huh. I uh, <clears throat> I was driving. I think it was September 10th, 11th, and hunting in the areas that I like to hunt. And, I was driving on a main line, and I drove by this big rub on an alder tree. And it, it, I, was like, I wasn't there yesterday. So I drove past that about 150 yards or so, and I parked the truck, and I walked back down that gravel road. And it, it's a main line, but no one's out in the woods. It's the middle of the week. And I bugled first. You know, it's probably a half an hour into first light. And uh, I bugled right there at that rub and immediately got cut off. And he was just right below me. And the wind was going right down the hill. So I hurry up and ran up the road to get my wind over this way. And I started working my way down there towards him. And he was hung up in some myrtle wood brush and just carrying, carrying on. He was just screaming. And I hear something behind me. I look behind me and I got a big six-point bolt right up on the gravel road looking down at me now i'm in between two of them and these two start screaming back and forth to each other and that one shows himself and he's a big black antler five point and i'm like kind of just stuck this not moving frozen and i made one little twitch move and the one on the road ran up the road and the one in the bottom ran down the drainage and i was just like my adrenaline was going, and I was like, well, I can't go off to the one with the wind bad, so I'm going to climb. You know, it's straight up and down, so these gravel roads, it's like a cliff going off the edge. So I'm 
hands and feet climbing up onto the road and I get up there and he's gone and I'm breathing hard and like, man, I'm an idiot. I just totally screwed this up. <laughs> and so I go walking back to my truck. I get around the corner and the six points still in the road. <laughs> I walk right into him and he runs off and, but that's how it is. I mean, you, you get on a fresh rub and, um, it, it can really pay dividends because it seems like they're staging and displaying and they're right there in that area. And so I gave that six point a little bit of time and I followed him up to the reap rod and sure enough, there was just rubs everywhere wow. killing trees yeah just those suckers i'll tell you we need to thin them out because <laughs> <laughs> the timber companies love us yeah, yeah don't they yeah uh, yeah they charge us 350 to go hunt their tree farms now <laughs> that's, they love how us they right. love us. that's how much yeah. they love us so larry when you were talking about hunting it more hunting an area more carefully when you find some rubs in there maybe explain that well um Oftentimes, uh, when I'm hunting elk, I'll just move through the country, you know, uh, walk, well, like, walk all logging roads and and uh, call, make sure I'm calling off in the, in the northeast slopes and just keep working area. But when I, <coughs> when I find um, a rub like that, I'm not just going to be moving very quickly. I'm going to you know, be more patient, basically, I think, more than anything else, patient with it. And because, like I mentioned, you need, kind of need to stir them up and get them thinking about it. And, and I've, I've called into spots in the morning, for example, and came didn't hear a thing. And in the evening, come back through that same area and call, and a bull answers me right back. And I I suspect that he had all day to think about that. <laughs> and he's he's, picturing, he's visioning this, you know, gorgeous blonde. <laughs> all day, yep. yeah. He's been thinking about it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, I told you what not to do. Don't do what I do. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, uh, even even though that that's – that's an easy thing to do. How do you did you know that that one was above you? You didn't. I didn't. You know, no. and that and that's just it. You don't know where they're going to be exactly. Right. If you really know the area, lots of times, or even if you don't know the area, if you if you use topo maps, and I know people use their phones and GPSs and all that stuff to look at contour lines and that sort of thing, but uh, I still like the hard copies of the maps yeah because i can sit and study those suckers and and they're they're going to bed up on little flat spots and usually uh that'll be on maybe a ridge point that comes down kind of benches out and then drops off some more and benches out and so if i i know there's some rubs in that area and it's midday i'll start looking at that and say okay I need to be above those spots when I call. So I'm going to be careful and move around above it, work it. Doesn't Nothing happens. Maybe work down the ridge, work it, you know, be impatient with it. And and uh, then, of course, as you guys know, that in the mornings and evening, they're going to be out feeding. Now, Roosevelt's will be out in the clear cuts probably. Right. So hunting national forest doesn't work very good because 
they went in and thinned some of that country, but the not really the kind of feed that right where you got you know when they clear cut it, grass grows up and new yeah. and then they burn it and then there's you know new growth good browse yeah, yeah and, and that's just what they really they're really looking for as far as food sources knowing that they're going to be feeding morning and late evening then you know you're going to hunt the edges of the clear cuts or or glassing in those areas or uh, any other feed areas which might be a meadow or whatever depending on where you're hunting them and i think on the coast if you don't have the clear cuts it's the old skid roads can can act like a, a field per se i mean you know there's just grass stretching for two miles down to the creek and i mean if the sign's there i, I notice that a lot that these old decommissioned skid roads that mm -hmm. are just grass um, seem to be a primary uh food source yeah but you, you know in the national forest the where you have enough canopy cover, you don't even get that. That, yeah. You know, you get a little bit of that some places. Right. But um, it's just more difficult. Uh, where you get into areas that's been clear-cut five years ago or ten years ago, you yeah. got these different clear-cuts. There's yeah. different feed areas and, and escapement and that sort of thing. And that's really where you want to be looking. Now, if you're hunting east, you are looking at meadows. Right. You know, uh, with the main thing you look for there is moisture. They got to have water. I mean, that's elk anyway. Right. Yeah, everywhere there's marshes and even not marshes, but just springs coming out of the hills. And a lot of times there's a little meadow up in there and that water's feeding into the meadows and makes some grass and they are grazers. So uh, the, the Roosevelt's browse way more than... The Rocky Mountain, or I guess they're called American Elk now. Right. <laughs> so, do you put do you hold um, um, do you put much time into wallows? I mean, if you find a good wallow, do you try to ambush them there at all, or um, what? I think that's a good technique, but <clears throat> they don't always use walls every day. Right. I've seen them, you know, black and wet from wallowing first thing in the morning, and I've seen them midday, and uh, so they could just depends on but it's elk sign right <laughs> you know <laughs> right and so you can't discontinue you know what i guess i'm saying is you can't necessarily count on uh putting up a blind or a tree stand there and seeing elk there different times of the rut i think it's better i think it's better early early yeah, yeah. than i do later on so you're saying there's a chance yeah, <laughs> there's a chance. There is That's a chance. Small chance, but yeah. there's a chance. That's a chance. <laughs> and, and I, I think with those big uh, natural forest land ground like you refer to, I go and hunt some of that stuff, and it's like you said, it's really tough because the elk sign is just nil. It's in, but if you can find that where it borders some timber company land where they've really clear cut it a lot, and then those elk are using that old growth timber uh, for bedding, mm -hmm. that's that can be the hot ticket. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I think when you, like you were kind of saying about the five-year-old clear cut and the seven-year-old, if you can get like two-year-old cuts and five and 10 and 15 and some old growth, I think the more age class of trees you've got uh, in, in a given area becomes very desirable for them than just having one age class throughout the yeah. span. The, the, the thing that you just have to remember is once those trees get, let's say, 20 years old, Right. They're a solid canopy, and all the stuff underneath of it dies. Yeah. 
sunlight just isn't hitting the ground. And so that's not a feed area. It might be escapement area. Yeah. Yeah, where we we live at the base of the Cascades, and they haven't logged up there since the early 90s. Yeah, it's been a long time. And that's the way it all is up there. I mean, there's no feed for the elk. A lot of the elk moved out for sure. Mm-hmm. Very few <coughs> left. So, so it, you talked about the calling being it worked a lot better when no one was doing it. Um, but is it still, uh, you know, your main technique when you hit the elk woods is calling still what you rely on to locate elk and to close the deal on elk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just a great tool. It's just that you have to be smart about your calling. Right. And I think being as good a caller as you can be is smart. You know, so when you want to do a soft calf call, you can sound like a soft, I mean, a calf Mm -hmm. or a cow. Or if you want to sound angry, you know, there's different triggers. Emotion, yeah. Different triggers for different elk. And you don't know what it's going to be until it happens, you know. So, you know, I, I often mimic what I hear, try to mimic him. Because if it, again, I I often think of them like what people do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if if James says, "Hey, Larry," and I say, "Hey, Larry," and every time he says something, I repeat it. Pretty soon, he's going to get ticked off. <laughs> and he's younger than I, and I am, so he can probably <laughs> beat the crap out of me. But <laughs> yeah, but you you know what I mean. Yeah. So I I think sometimes by stomping on what he's trying to say or to uh, mimic him the best I can, then he might feel like, oh, he's about my age. I can, th- I think I can whip him, or I don't even know if they think that way, but sure. that's what I think about. I, and would you say cow calls, uh, cow calf call, herd talk would be fifty percent of your calling, uh, along with bugles, or more or less? And how often are you using uh, the bugle? I use the bugle a lot. Um, you do not know what's going to make them answer. Right. <coughs> uh, three years ago, I guess I had uh, Wyoming with Jeff Waring from uh, Bowhunter. And he he showed up a little later than when I did. I got there a few days before the season. And uh, I'd already called in a couple of bulls that I passed on and, and – uh, I still have my tag, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my my advice to anybody that's listening is shoot the first elk you get a chance with a bow and arrow. I don't care if it's a bull or not. If you want to kill an elk, shoot the first one because you don't know what. There might not be another yeah. one coming. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that easy. Yeah. You know? Oh, it is. They, you know, TV shows make it look pretty easy yeah. sometimes. Bow Hunter TV makes it yeah. look really easy. And, you know, watch Elk Fever. It only took us 40 days. <laughs> okay? Yeah. 18 days before we got one on video. I haven't found a tag soup that is very filling yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, so anyway, uh, I was going to tell you, was, uh, I, I still use the calls that I designed. One of them was my original call that had a metal reed in it, and you just blow on it. <coughs> 
and uh, then I use the, the persuader that has a soft diaphragm, silicone diaphragm on it. And I love that call because I can do those nice high little oops with it. And I can do nice grunts with it. But anyway, I don't use my metal reed one as much. I don't know why, but because I can do more, I guess, with my uh -huh. persuader. Uh, and so I'm using the mouth calls, doing the half calls and that sort of thing. And and uh, and we're, we're in the elk. I mean, we've seen elk and that sort of thing, but I'm not getting an answer. And so finally, I what I'll do lots of times is I'll say I'll do some cow and calf calls, not, not do some uh, some soft bugles, and then I'll start getting more aggressive. I'll maybe do take my diaphragm call and do a high pitched bugle and follow up with some grunts and that sort of thing. <coughs> Throw in some more cow and calf sounds, okay, you know, and so I'm trying to create that excitement. And then if I don't hear any responses, and I think, God, they, this just looks like the place where they should be, you know. You know, they're sighing and all that stuff. And so then I'll switch calls. I'll, I grab that, I did doing this one I was talking about with Jeff. And so I changed to the metal reed call, and I blew on it. Boom, this bull answered. Way down in there. Okay, he's far away. Let's go. So we moved closer to him, and we uh, then I did some more calf calls. You know, used the bugles, not answering. So I take the metal reed call again, <laughs> blow on it. He liked boom. that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what you gotta mm -hmm. you gotta read that stuff. Yeah. And say okay, but I ended up we we got closer to him, and I used some calf calls. And a decoy to pull him right in and just shot him. A nice six by seven. So that's kind of a, I mean, it's really hard to tell people how much you bugle. But I call a lot. I cover the area with sound. I don't mean I'm, you know, every few feet. But every time the contour changes or I think, oh, yeah, I need to call back into there. I'm gonna. I might just start out right with the bugle. Just give it a little soft bugle. See what happens. You know. So that's. And do you implement that on day one, like opening day? Are you calling the same way you would call on, say, September fifteenth? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, um, I'm thinking of last year. Um, I set up. It was probably around the 20th or so, you know, so it's well into the season. Uh, I've been hunting 20 days by then. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a September. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember setting up and just starting out with calf calling and stuff and then started going with the bugles and called for quite a while. And finally some elk came silently coming into us and when you say quite a while an hour 40 minutes uh, that probably was a half an hour in that okay. case yeah sometimes i'll stay there a whole hour uh, last year was a weird year that just did not seem to get cranked up everybody said they're just not calling of course i'm getting bulls to answer me now and then but not like i'm used to <laughs> yeah not a lot of commitment last <laughs> yeah year. yeah right. they just just seem like uh they were staying in their own bunches. I had a couple of, you know, 
good encounters, but we were talking about rubs and I'm learning to be definitely here on the coast to be more patient because I have gone and done some cold calling setups and then pulled out and then come back there to the next day. And right there, there's a rub and all the signs. It's like, I don't know when they came, but they came. They showed up on the scene. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've done that rattling for blacktails, like rattle here. And then you walk back and then you come back through there later and you're like, what the, oh man. Yeah. 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 And and uh, in the middle of the day, for example, you know, I don't know when we're eating lunch. And I'm sure this probably happened to you guys. You're sitting there, and, and I call. And when I sit down for lunch, I might sit on a log that's in the shadows next to some yes. trees behind me, you know, not out in the open. And I'll I'll do some cow calf sounds, and I'll take a couple bites and listen, you know, and then I'll call my bugle. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting there and get through and think, okay, stand up and yeah. <laughs> bull was right, sta- you know, came in. Watching you eat your sandwich. And, and, and other times I've seen him coming and, you know, got shot opportunities right in the middle of the day. And people think, well, I just love those people that, those hunters that get up early, go out and hunt for two hours, and then go back to camp in the middle of the day. Because the middle of the day is when I'm going to get a lot of bulls going in. Yeah. <laughs> and mean, they're not bothering me. <laughs> I mean, by like the 20th, like you said, at that point, you know, I'm running thin, so there are going to be some naps. But those are going to be in the elkiest spots. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm like, okay, they're, I'm not in them right now. I'm going to crack some bugles, throw some cow calls, rake some brush, and then go to sleep. And like you said, I don't know how many times I've woke up to a bull like bugling. To the point where I'm not taking my boots off during that nap anymore because <laughs> they're, pro- <laughs> yeah. they're getting hunted so much they're probably learning that too. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to hunt with Larry Jones because he puts pine cones in your chest. <laughs> yeah, as, as long as it's not banana peels, I'll be all right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, actually, uh, I was hunting with my uh, hunting partner uh, Nick Prescott, and we were uh, we were over in the Northeast Oregon, and we were taking a. Uh, little nap there and i got up and i took his boots and i headed on up into the brush and cracked a big bugle and i watched him jump up <laughs> look around and he's like where's my boots <laughs> <laughs> oh that's not i pulled that right out of your uh, yeah. box <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can awesome. use it again <laughs> That's great. So, Larry, how did you get into making your own calls? Like, I know back in the 80s, like, I, my, my family hunted. My dad's not a big elk hunter, wasn't a big elk hunter. But I remember when I was a kid up at hunting camp, and, uh, I mean, they used a gas flex, you know, mm-hmm. gas pipe. He's a plumber, too, but that's what they used. Yeah. And I remember yeah. him getting answers with that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, at that time, you were out using diaphragms and cleaning house. So, you know, like, <laughs> how, did, how did that start? How did that start? Um, well, uh, my history is, you know, that I, I hunted antlerless elk for eight years up on the, around Saddle Mountain. Killed eight-headed elk. Um just by following them and sneaking around and that sort of thing. Those were all antlerless elk in, in a, what they call a hazing hunt. 
And then um, I went to Canyon Creek and I killed a spike there. And then I went into the Minum and killed my first bull there was a spike. And then I started killing five and six point bulls back in there for several years. And um, the early years, I had a plastic tube when I started calling elk. So I was, I was, that was probably in my about my 10th year of elk hunting, something like that, 10th or 11th. <coughs> and uh, prior to going in there, we had an elk, a bull elk in um, Eugene, Oregon. And there's a, I think it's called Hendricks Park. It was up on kind of a hill and there was an elk in there. And I wanted to hear him bugle. And so I went up there and and uh, I got the, like the little gas pipe thing, you know, like mm -hmm. curly cue. I call it kind of pig's tail curly cue. I had one of those, and I don't remember what else, maybe a, a whistle. And I tried to get in the bugle. And I just gave up. I said, well, he, you know, he just wouldn't even look at you. You know, he just like, oh, yeah, another one of those guys. And, <laughs> and then a car down in the city hit their brakes, and it went, eek, and then he bugled. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to hear him bugle. And I have a, a pretty good ability of, if I can hear the sound, sometimes I can, you know, repeat it or come up with it. And so I actually started practicing with my voice. And um, that year that I killed a spike in the minum, um, I met Jim Brackenberry and his hunting partner. And uh, as I packed my spike out, my I had to head and hide at 12 o'clock at night. I was heading back towards camp. <laughs> 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 and so he said he'd come up and help me uh, next day, him and his partner. Anyway, so we went back in there, and there was a, some basins back in there. I said, take your bows, guys. There's some really good spots up here. And... Uh, <clears throat> so I said, let's hunt this. You know, you, you take that basin, this one, and I'll walk out through here. And so I, I was trying to bugle with my voice, and I heard a response. It sounded something like what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks his great big six. Oh, wow. I mean, he was just point blank. And, uh, of course, I already punched my tag. But, but that gave me a confidence. Hey, I can call bulls in with my voice. And so I called bulls with my voice until... Um, about 79, I think it was. And um, Dwight and I were hunting. Um, Dwight had, and a friend of his, Ken Barr, had backpacked up high uh, in the Minum. And then we had the outfitter put us, uh, drop campus down on the Minum River. So we had their camp there and they had their camp up there. So they were hunting up on those ridges. And... Uh, the first morning I went out and I called a five-point bull in and shot him. And, and so I took care of him. And, and uh, then uh, I still had a deer tag. And I, a friend of mine had told me, uh, Larry, all these people are coming to you and asking you about calling elk and stuff. Uh, why don't you make some tapes and, or something? And I, I poo-pooed him for a while. And then I got thinking, huh. If I could sell a few tapes, maybe I'd go on a different hunt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Motivation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I wanted to gather some elk bugles. And so I had this little recorder, just crude, but I had it. 
And so I went out and I was um, going along and I heard this kind of a squealy sound. I thought, huh, that don't really sound like help, but sometimes they sound weird. So uh-huh. so I bugled back my voice and uh, then uh, <clears throat> it got it got closer and uh, and squealed back and we did this interstate and they got close and pretty soon I could tell. It wasn't an elk, you know, I could tell by the way the branch was breaking. And so I said, Yoo-hoo, I'm not an elk. And Dwight says, I'm going to shoot him anyway. (laughs) 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 And and I had hunted with Dwight and called, you know, with my voice a lot. (laughs) And and not to brag, but I was pretty good at it. You know, I could sound pretty elky. Is that <laughs> you called Dwight in? I love it. <laughs> I'm going to shoot him anyway. And, it was, it was and the thing <laughs> was, he came into camp. My wife was in camp. Uh, and she, he said, I heard Larry up on Bull Basin, which was up where they were hunting, a place we called Bull Basin. Yeah. And uh, she said, no, Larry was back in L.A. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he had told Ken, he said, I'm not going to let Larry call me in. And he walked away from that bull. Oh, no. I called him in. <laughs> so all, all that said, when I heard, heard that squealy thing, that was a, a herder's deer call that uh, Mike uh, Lipinski, I think that's what his name was, uh, from Arizona, had uh, told Dwight about. And if you bent the reed, it was a metal reed, if you bent the reed just right, it would sound a little bit like an elk, you know. Okay. And so I thought, yeah, you know do that and so I, I bought a couple of those and I be, being an auto body guy I could feel things pretty good in my hands you know just because of what we do and uh, I bent the reed and I got them making the sounds some pretty good high pitched sounds and then I thought you know when I voice bugle I use this tube and so I'll try that so I stuck the call in the tube and whoop, I go whoa <laughs> <laughs> so that's really the concept of my very first elk call bugle. That's where it started. That's where it started. And then the diaphragms, of course, were used for calling turkeys. And yeah. and I just converted in my own designs and what I thought worked best. Yeah. When did that first bugle come out? That was a dark green one, right, that would screw on yeah, the top? Yeah, that's right. I've got uh, one of those. Uh, year old. I think it was yeah. in 1980. I, I, 1980, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. That was a good year. Yeah. Here I was born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad has one of those very first bugles and stuff, and yeah. I, I bugled some bulls in with that with him. Yeah. But I get dizzy when I, when mm-hmm. I was a kid you blowing got, on it. You got to blow it, hard. It blowed hard, but yeah. 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 Well, what you got to really do is put pressure, a lot of pressure, so you got to push hard and, and, of course, have the, the air yeah. with it. And so uh, some people struggle. And with then that. you changed them a few years later, right? And they, the, uh, they were black and they were a little easier to blow. They were, yeah, probably a little bit easier, um, but uh, we just uh, just made it so that 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 design so that it would screw onto that uh-huh. that tube because I still like to use <laughs> with my voice. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, then then with the mouth diaphragms, you can you know still it's still that right. way, and you can unscrew it and and uh, use your mouth calls through the tube. So you got an arsenal without carrying a lot of extra stuff. You yeah, know? yeah, still a great call. I I started rifle hunting like you know most guys, and my stepdad, who was a rifle hunter, he'd never bow hunted, but he was you know kind of got me into hunting. 
uh, he was telling me, you know, you need to get into bow hunting because that's where you get these longer seasons and you can get away from the people. And he mm-hmm. goes, you know, if I was your age, I'd get into bow hunting. And he said that over a few years while I rifle hunted. And then after a series of running into people shooting guns at me, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, not intentionally, but because right. of me getting in between the elk and them, I decided uh, that I would get into bow hunting. And I was went home and I was flicking through the channels, you know, and I found bow hunter TV. And I was like, oh. Bowhunter TV, that's you know, that's what I'm looking for right there. So I <laughs> clicked on channel. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'd never watched Bowhunter TV. I didn't actually personally know a bow hunter. I hadn't oh. shot a bow since I was a kid. Um, you know, n- I'd never heard a bull bugle. And uh, there's uh, Larry and your, I think uh, your son and you guys are hunting in the jungle. And, you know, you got your recurve and you're screaming bulls in and i i was mesmerized i was like hook line and sinker and like i was telling bob i'm this kind of guy like if i read a book or i hear anything i'm just gonna track somebody's phone number down and call them and so i uh found out who you were and i found out you were you know a native here in oregon and that you were making calls and so i i got a hold of you and you probably don't remember it but you were transitioning uh selling jones calls to the point blank guys and uh, I picked your brain a little bit, and I ordered some calls from you, and um, it was really the beginning uh, for me to start. You know, and that's really why I chose to have you uh, uh, episode one when I started the podcast. I mean, you were my foundation um, to to this whole calling elk, and um, and so I did start with the compound, but because it was kind of just engraved in my head the recurve and you know the, the face paint and because of larry yeah because of larry absolutely <laughs> blame me yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely and i so, got big uh, show i got wide that, shoulders that, that was definitely my uh my foundation uh, of that whole you know me getting started for sure and so yeah, yeah. and i think that's similar story similar story for me probably a lot mm-hmm. of guys and larry probably yeah. doesn't even realize but all that money spent making elk fever. Yeah. We thank you. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it was like maybe four or five years later, um, I ran into you had Bowhunter TV and you guys were doing some some filming uh, here in the Tioga unit and um, uh, or I don't know if I was in the Sayuslar or the Tioga, but I ran into you guys and uh, I actually was from afar and I put my binoculars and I was like, oh. There's Larry D. Jones. <laughs> there he is right there. <laughs> I must I be like, in a good spot if I'm yeah. Larry. Yeah. And so I, I ruined more spots. Yeah. And so <laughs> the next day I was going to one of my spots and you guys had your rigs there and I was like, he's in my spot. <laughs> I was like, well, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Uh, Never killed a thing. <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, that's awesome. So how how have things changed? I mean, we've kind of alluded to this back and forth, but how have things changed over the years? And what are you doing different now um, in your setups and and the way you go about it um, than you were back when you started? Really not too much. I mean, as far as elk, it would be to everybody's advantage if they learned elk uh habits in other words i'm i'm a better elk hunter because 
when I first started hunting elk, I <coughs> tracked them. I followed their trails and and I've learned where they like to sleep and bed, and, you know, and where they like to feed and and their you know, it's not not a where they where they sleep and so it's pretty simple. You know, they like to bed up on these benches, usually fairly high, and oftentimes they'll go down or in some cases up to alpine feed early morning, late evening. So if you just learn those things, you can pretty much find elk. Yeah, and that's... You know, uh, and, and that, and <coughs> so all, all that's true today, you know, you know, from when I first started. And... <coughs> Calling calling elk is a lot harder today just because they're more educated. And and it's getting harder to find spots where other people don't penetrate. One of the things that when I first started, <coughs> I don't think there was nearly as many people that are hardcore. You know, but because of things that Dwight and I have done and and other you know, guys that's in the limelight that are hardcore hunters have done, people go like, oh, you know, I can do that. And so they they penetrate into those back yeah. country spots that before was all yours. <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> not really. Again, it's not Larry's not. fault. Again. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> 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 I have done so much for you guys. <laughs> and I've saved a lot of elk. <laughs> But but you know otherwise I I think I hunt pretty much the same. I hunt the country where I know they probably are things that I do different. I go on Google Earth and look at places that I had never dreamed to look at from the sky. Yeah. You know, and there's and I uh, like when I'm hunting black-tailed deer, I look at the weather channel every morning and see which way the wind's blowing and what kind of weather we're going to be getting. I mean, th those are the technology that we didn't have back then. And, <coughs> um, you know, I, <laughs> I hunted quite a few years and, and before I realized that I could even look at a topo map. I'm looking at topo maps, right? Yeah. But I didn't realize that I could say, oh, the elk will be here. Or here, right? Or here, yeah. you know, because of, of knowing where they like to bed, and yeah. where they like to feed, and what they like, the north slope versus the east south, uh -huh. you know, s slopes. Uh, <coughs> in fact, it was Dwight that said, "Larry can, Larry can tell you on a map where the elk are going to be." <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't, Dwight. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you can. <laughs> but I realized, oh yes, I can. <laughs> and what, what the, I I I taught uh, a class or. I guess I'd call it class, for an outfitter in New Mexico. This this really made me feel good. <laughs> and so he had guides come there. And so I'm teaching them about, you know, the places they'd like to be and all that stuff. And so they, okay, so they put this map out in front of me, the topo map. I looked at it, and I'm going like, oh, my gosh, this looks like the best spot I would, I would definitely hunt there. That one guy's mouth dropped open. He said, that's the best place I've ever found. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So so speaking about uh, Dwight, you've, we've, we've brought him up a bunch. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty special to have uh, a hunting partner like that. I think uh, the guys that don't have him, are, they're looking for him as much as yeah. they're looking for elk. Um, 
maybe just talk a little bit about that and what that's like to have somebody like Dwight in your life. <clears throat> well, it's kind of like having a stubborn, <laughs> <laughs> hard-headed, <laughs> wonderful guy as a partner. <laughs> okay, It's a little bit like a marriage. You've got to really, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, he, he puts up with me and my mouth and, you know, giving him a hard time a lot. But we really, uh, we, we complement each other when we're hunting, you know. And I don't have to worry about whether he's going to get back in camp. He doesn't have to worry about if I'm going to get back in camp because he knows and I know we don't have a problem, you know. It just, uh, and I've learned a lot from Dwight as far as he's really good at uh, researching areas. You know, he's not afraid to get on the phone, call these people, and, get, you know, nowadays everybody does it with. The <laughs> phone or whatever, yeah. Well, their smartphone, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is so smart I can't even use it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, I kind of struggle sometimes nowadays because he's he's got cancer and he's having you know physical problems and he's still wanting to hunt and all that but uh, i miss him yeah. right and uh, and uh i i like to go on these hunts and i wish he was with me and i i have a hard time finding people that i can feel comfortable with in other words i hunt so hard most of the time i wear people out <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the rabbit yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know you never wore out the spider though huh? no <laughs> never wore out the spider. <laughs> and uh and and so it's it's hard to find somebody that either got the time or, or want to spend the effort uh or the money whatever it takes to go hunting you know but even if they've got the time and the money and the effort, it's still you have to have that compatibility. Like said, that, yeah, yeah, that that mm -hmm. bond or that that that, <clears throat> that feeling, mm -hmm. and that's really hard to come by. Yeah, and in it's the, you both have to have the the burning desire to do it. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, Could you share maybe one of your favorite uh, hunting stories uh, that involves Dwight? I did. <laughs> where, where I called him in. <laughs> 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 uh, he tells this story. It's a little different version. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and he's a great guy. He really is. In, in a, without a doubt, one of the best outdoor writers there, there is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, or maybe we, if you don't mind, maybe share the, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, alluded to Dwight having cancer and, and mm -hmm. he still wants to hunt. You'd shared a story with me when we were shooting arrows in your backyard, uh, after episode one, where, uh, Dwight talked to you into picking him up and taking him hunting when he was just sick as a dog. Maybe you tell that story. I don't know if I can get through it. Uh, well, yeah, he's been going through chemo and he's had several doses of it and he's, he said, oh, "I can, I can meet you over there at at a certain place uh, Thursday. I get a treatment on Thursday in the evening. I can drive over and stuff. And then the next morning, that we were going to go out, he was 
just hurting so bad and shaking and it's cold and he the the chemo was just really bad and uh, he said go out with Cameron the guy that was in his camp and uh, <clears throat> so okay so I went out with him called Spike in about ran us over and then we you know hunted come back and next day he was feeling a little better the third day he says uh, I need I, I'm going to go home no he said I, I, I can hunt this afternoon so we went out and he could only walk about 100 yards that's how bad it was and uh, so <clears throat> we had we had a time that we shared together there just talking and glassing for elkers where we could glass some and and then uh, we got back to the four-wheeler and I look up and there's a cow elk above us and calf and so we got the glass at some so that was our time and then <laughs> so we, he said okay uh, the next morning I'm gonna I need to pack up and go home will you help me and so I helped him and and uh, <coughs> so we're all packed up he takes off he's gonna drive back and he drives down the road about half a mile I guess it was and he pulls off and I what now you know and so I get out and he said you know I was thinking about <laughs> about this spot that Cameron told me about it's right back here the trail goes right up there he said there's a watering trough there and an elk been coming in there let's walk up there and see if there's been any elk coming in <laughs> this is just how determined you know, and how much he wants to hunt and he's sick oh he's sick man He's starting to feel a little better now. You know, chemo can just, you know, it's oh, yeah. poison. It just right, wants yeah. to kill you. <laughs> anyway, so we go back, drive back there and look. At, yeah, this trail. And he said, let's walk up there. And I thought, you couldn't even walk 100 yards yesterday. <laughs> and it's steep. <laughs> this yeah. one, well, that was on flat ground. <laughs> you know, I didn't say that to him, yeah. but that's what I was thinking. And... uh so he starts it up a ways, and he has to stop and rest and stuff. I said, well, while you're resting, I'm going to walk up and see. And so I go walk up there, and I said, there's elk tracks. And I said, yeah. And go back down. I said, yeah, it's it looks like it'd be a good spot, you know. I think if a guy put a tree stand there, would you put the tree stand up for me? <laughs> I'm going <to laughs> climb a tree now. Yeah. Uh. And so... Yeah, I went back, got four wheeler, put tree stand on it, and I got it up there, and and he stood down there and watched me put it up, and I think he ended up going back there later on and and setting into it about four hours, and it just hurt him so much to be sitting there, you know, that he he gave it up, but and he took the can't stand down. Wow, <laughs> tough guy. Yeah, yeah, that is an awesome. What a stud. But he's driven. Yeah, yeah he's driven. Yeah, to the to, yeah. To, to just I mean nothing left in them, and he's still it's like it's September. I'm not <laughs> a hunt elk. I know, yeah. I know, it's just amazing. Huh. Yeah, that's oh, awesome. I talked to him the other day, and he's out walking and jogging. Good, that's yeah. awesome. Good. Yeah, Heck things yeah. are going better for him, I think. So. That is so cool. So cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, you know something that uh, 
I think every guy that doesn't have that um, is looking for that mm -hmm. compatibility, uh, a guy that shares that passion mm -hmm. and, like you say, you don't have to worry about. And right. The other thing that we're really compatible with is we both Lord our, love our Lord Jesus Christ right. as our Savior, and uh, he's, he's fine with all that. Yeah. He, oh. know, he knows where he's at in the kingdom, so. So has it been, um, I mean, do you guys make it a point to get together every season uh, since you guys have been hunting together? Or have you guys kind no, of? No, I think there's been times when we, <coughs> you know, hunts in. We, we, well, last year uh, we both it had me put in for an Idaho antelope tag. And uh, we both drew it. That's that's a long story, but anyway, <laughs> ended up. Uh, his daughter came from Norway. Uh, no, not the, uh, Norway, the Netherlands. She's married to a guy that lives in that's from there. <coughs> and so <laughs> he didn't hardly get to hunt together with hunt, <laughs> But we got out and scouted one day, and that was about it on that. But so. Yeah, but uh, we t we try to hunt whenever we can together. So. Yeah, well, hopefully we, uh, there'll be a, a way to get him into the elk <coughs> fever three. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah! Yeah. That's so awesome. you uh, you gonna hunt some elk just in Oregon this year? Or do you got some plans? What's uh, September looking oh, like? Oh, I would like to hunt. I'd like to hunt a whole bunch of states, but <laughs> 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 I know that's not a. Uh, I'll probably hunt mainly Oregon. Um, I put in for a special draw in Idaho, which only has 10 tags, and I probably won't draw that, but I still put in for it. I put in for Arizona and supposed to draw according to all of my bonus points, but I didn't draw. <laughs> That's because Bob got your tag. <laughs> no. Bob. I drew a tag, but it wasn't. It wasn't one of those 17-point tags, Ooh, that's for geez. sure. I gave up on those. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, I, I hate to put in for too many places because you can draw them all. You can, I'm not good enough hunter to hunt three <laughs> states and kill three elk, you know. Yeah, I'd be yeah. lucky to kill one elk in three states. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it'd be fun trying. Yeah, it would be fun trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so. How many states have you hunted elk in? Um, most of them that have elk. <laughs> 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 I don't think I've ever drawn a tag in Nevada. Um but I've hunted elk in Colorado and Arizona, New Mexico, Idaho, Montana, Washington. You know. all, all the ones with elk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many? How many elk have you taken with your bow? I do not know. <laughs> I, I, you know I remember I, elk I, fever. I think it said at the end of elk fever, which was eighty-seven or something. That you would kill 24 in a row with your bow, bulls in a row with your bow or something mm. at that time. I remember 24 or 25. I don't, time. I don't, I may have been my 24th, 25th elk, but yeah. I, uh, when I first started hunt, hunting elk and I started, I killed a couple, I actually killed 19 in a row. And then I missed a year. I was that was a hard one for me. <laughs> You're like, I got this figured out. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I, there was, uh, I, I got up into the 40s or somewhere in there, and I think I probably killed around 50 elk with my bow. Yeah. But uh, 
I don't count coup that much. Yeah. Not yeah. that important. I just want to kill another one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Whatever well, number well, that is, we well, just want another one. And yeah. mainly because we value the meat. Oh, yeah. It is, yeah. you know, it's so healthy for you. Yeah. And uh, since I had bypass surgery in 2005, um, I try to stay away from beef because it's got a lot of saturated fat in it. And uh, so venison and, well, elk is venison. People yeah. don't look at it that way but elk and and moose meat and all those that are grazers of the wonderful environment we have yeah, yeah. does it get any organic yeah, yeah organic yeah. Yeah. are you gonna are you gonna <laughs> hunt roosevelt's this year or rocky mountain a little both or uh, i don't know for sure yet well you know you're welcome to come uh <laughs> be my hunting partner <laughs> with you <laughs> elk, elk fever three right <laughs> Yeah, you can carry the hand, camera gear yeah. <laughs> and pack my elk. Hey, I do it. If you, if you need a shirt, <laughs> yeah, right I'll here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Bob and I will yeah. pack stuff uh, around for yeah. you. Heck yeah. yeah. I'll do the scouting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll, we'll keep in touch. <laughs> <laughs> what about your equipment? Has that changed at all now that you're, you've uh, post-shoulder surgery and you're, you're healed up some? Um, pretty much, uh, well, my bow's... Since I'm work with Bow Hunter TV, you know I, I shoot sponsor bows, uh -huh. and and Hoyt is our bow sponsor right now. And uh, you shooting the Satori then, or the mm -hmm. Buffalo? I got both. Both, yeah. <laughs> Those are nice bows. Yeah, they are, and and I enjoy them. Yeah. Um, I'm still struggling with 55 pounds, so that's um, and I'm I feel good about that I'm getting strong enough to do it. Um, I'm still not as accurate. Uh, I'm I'm 76 now, so uh, my eyes are not as good as they used to be naturally. I used to have 20-10 vision, so I'm back to 20-20 in one of my eyes. <laughs> a little worse than the other one. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's it's a huge difference. of um, So that affects your shooting, too, because right. you're, you're picking that small spot. And I'm shooting um, carbon arrows. Um, Gold Tip is our sponsor. They're great arrows. I like the they're the ones that look like they're footed arrows. Right, the know. traditional classics. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice that's a nice shaft. Yeah, it's nice and heavy. Um, that's one of the reasons I like it. And uh, I like shooting, you know, hundred uh, or five seventy. I think I'm right at five seventy grains right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, with 55 pounds and a good sharp broadhead, you shoot clear through those elk. You know. Yeah. What broadhead are you using? This um, right now I'm using the Muzzy um, Phantom. Mm-hmm. The Phantom. Mm -hmm. Cut on contact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's <coughs> you know, um, I haven't shot wood arrows for a long time. Sorry, traditional guys. <laughs> <laughs> But in the reasoning basically is it's for me, I'm not a great shot. I'm probably pretty good, you know. Uh, it's it's like <laughs> one guy in New Jersey. I think it was New Jersey. I went back east to do a seminar and I shot around with these guys. <coughs> and uh, this guy said, I was walking along and he said, "Man, you shoot pretty good." <laughs> and being a smart ass that I am, <laughs> I looked at him right in the eye and I said, well, you don't think I killed all those animals because I couldn't shoot. 
so yeah. I can shoot pretty good, but um, it, uh, my shooting level is not what it, I'd like it to be right now. And I'm hoping by the season that I'll be back to my old self. I don't know if I'll ever be back to my old self, but... Um, <clears throat> We're going to try to drag you up to a 3D course that's nothing but elk targets. I think there's 28 or 30 elk targets mm -hmm. just up the road from uh, where we're camping. Um, we're all uh, here today doing some clam digging and have a big clam yeah. feast here shortly that that we're going to go uh Yeah, we better yeah, if go we do keep, that. If we keep yeah. talking, we <laughs> won't yeah. make keep it. Talking, yeah, telling old hunting stories of Larry all night. We <laughs> yeah. might not get there. Yeah, but we're going to have to drag Larry out and go shoot at some elk targets yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Did you bring your bow? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I brought arrows, too. Excellent. Awesome. <laughs> they, 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 uh, Andy's got a hand in hand. So maybe some... Uh, closing, you got any uh, anything, Andy, that uh, you'd like to uh, add to the conversation or ask Larry before? No, I would, honestly, I would just like to thank you for what you've done because, uh, like I said, like everybody else here, we've uh, you kind of started it. You ruined some of it, like you said, but you, yeah. you got us all started. <laughs> I remember driving around in the in the car in the truck with my dad, listening to Listen the audio to the tapes. tapes and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, hi, I'm Larry D. Jones. Yeah, exactly. And on this tape. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we'd be listening to those uh, on the way to hunt and camp, and uh, you know that's how my brother and I learned how to bugle. My mm -hmm. dad, for some reason, his uh, his palate, he could never use the diaphragms, mm -hmm. so he always had the the blow through mm -hmm. metal reed. That was his bugle, and my, my brother and I learned how to use the diaphragm and stuff, and uh, that started the addiction. We yeah. Yeah, I live for September, and we've learned how to bugle, and we've bugled in a lot of bulls. Don't have a whole lot of them up on the wall, but we bugled in a lot of bulls. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is, isn't that, I mean, there's no more magnificent no. animal to hunt than no. elk. There and, is. And their vocalizations are yeah. just so, I mean, I can, I can hunt like a, talked about the whole season yeah and be sad at last days because yes. it's over yeah it, it's just yeah. so oh, yeah. and, and a lot of those days you're just walking miles and never even seen an elk yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, yeah i'm guilty of season being over and going back out with just the bugle just to, <laughs> just to yeah just to, to pretend like i'm still doing it yeah. oh you're the one that's educating <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Be educating them. <laughs> there was one year where i did i tagged out the very first day in fact that was the last year i hunted with a compound because that uh, that sucked, quite frankly. What? It, yeah, I tagged out, <laughs> but then it's like my season was over. I mm -hmm. had all this time off saved up from mm -hmm. work. I had most of the season off. Well, that's what Idaho's for. And well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Back, back that's then, that's what I should have done. But yeah, yeah, so call for um, your buddies. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the type of guy. If I have a ten day hunt, I don't want to tag out until like day nine and a yeah. half. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, I, I had a goat hunt. Mm -hmm. up in uh, British Columbia that I did the video on uh, hunting goat country. And uh, the first opening day of goat season, I stalked this goat up on the cliffs and stuff, and I shot him at 35 yards and right in the chest. And it was like an emptiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's over yeah. that quick. I, You know, and I was, I was planning, I, I had these visions of climbing those cliffs, you yeah. know, and sneaking around and coming over the top. But then I got to hunt mule deer while I was there. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that was a little better. <laughs> yeah, I've passed on some bulls early in the season, and people are like, "Well, you're that yeah. good of a hunter," and I'm like, "Not really. I just didn't want it. Didn't to want be it to over. end." Yeah. I know you wait all year long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're real, real, a uh, little bit of a kooky bunch, but uh, yeah, that's for sure. We we love the great outdoors that that's our right. God provided for us. Yep. So, how about you, Bob? You got you got anything Same for us? Same thing, man. Just 
this is awesome just hanging out with larry it's a big deal for me so. oh it's a huge deal bob's got a perma grin on his face uh, yeah. i told my wife i'm like i'll just be over there hanging out with larry if you need anything <laughs> so, so no honestly it's it's huge yeah so thank you thanks for making the video and it's just so cool to sit down with you know we we are everybody that listens to this podcast we are a unique breed and just to sit down with Larry's just a regular bow hunter like the rest of us. That's Sick right. Individuals. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I'd, it's it's awesome. I'll, I'll follow that lead. And, yeah, we thank you so much for everything you've done, the, uh, paved the way for us. Um, and, you know, thank you for coming on here, episode one, um, to whatever this is going to be. Um, we're looking forward to getting you on for episode 100. Man, we can uh, talk forever. We got we got to talk about some mule deer. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. There you go. Definitely. So Hopefully I'll draw a tag this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah well, but once again, just thank you so much for, for being you. And uh, we should probably cut this so we can go eat some clams and, yeah. and all that great food that everyone's preparing. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, elk fever three yeah <laughs> 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 right. uh, that's perfect thanks larry like thanks for your time man we really appreciate you it you weren't recording that whole time yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, technology uh, take two <laughs> technology is not our strong okay. point <laughs> i think i'm gonna get a little bit more than a banana put in my boot <laughs> <laughs> we got the western state shoot coming up why don't you tell us a little bit about that andy yeah western states is going to be next weekend Memorial Day weekend in New Meadows, Idaho. So it's going to be, uh, I think that's north of Boise by about an hour, hour and a half maybe. Um, and we will be there. Dick DeVarchi will be there. And uh, I'm going to be carrying some of your guys' merchandise. going to have the TradQuest swag at the yep. Dick DeVarchi <laughs> booth. So if you guys are there, support the podcast, pick up a shirt or a hat. We do appreciate it. Um, what else do we got going on, Andy? Um, a little bit of news about the uh, Longbow Safari. Uh, we had a little snafu with some of the deadlines. So the deadline has been extended to June 15th. It's now the deadline to sign up for the Longbow Safari. So if you've been him and Han or just forgot to send your uh, registration in, you have uh, a little bit more time to do so. We do need everybody to be pre-registered because you're assigned to a safari group, if you will. Since we're going to be shooting broadheads at uh, 3D targets, you'll be assigned a guide. And then that way we can make sure that everybody stays on the course where they're supposed to and uh, have some fun. And then you'll be assigned to a group. And you'll be when you do pre-register, one of the mementos you're going to get is a uh, axe, custom axe from... Uh, uh, Columbia River, Columbia River, River tool. Hyphen Tool, yep. and it has the uh, Longbow Safari emblem laser engraved on it. It's a, a really cool memento. Uh, they get along. I think that axe normally sells for about a hundred bucks. Very cool. So you're going to get that with the registration to as a memory from the from the shoot, and uh, it's it's a good time. And the shoot's up on uh, Hoodoo Ski Area. Yep, yep. And for those of you that are wondering, Hoodoo is kind of steep. Uh, we will have the chairlift running both days during right. the event. So you will catch a uh, chairlift up to the top of the mountain, uh, then meet up with your group, and you'll walk down through the course. And it is a uh, shotgun start, so you will start out at different targets. So even if you start halfway down, you'll ride it up to the top, walk to your, co walk to your target, 
shoot down to the bottom, then you'll get the chairlift ride back to the top and finish out the course that way. And that's all included in the registration price. There's no, you won't incur any extra fees for riding the chairlift. So that's uh, July 6th, 7th, and 8th. Correct. Central Oregon, Hoodoo yep. Ski Area, Longbow Safari. Um, what is there? Some novelty shoots there? There is. There's going to be bow birds. We, there's usually, we try to keep something for everyone to do all the time. So there'll be bow birds. We're going to have a course set up. It's a, a kid's course. Um, I think it's going to be 15 targets, and that will be open all the time. Field points only on that target, on that course, but you can uh, shoot it as many times as you want. Uh, there'll be novelty shoots. Uh, we'll have a raffle. There's a lot of really cool donations that come in for that, so uh, it's one of the best raffles around. And uh, then there's a catered uh, dinner Saturday night. If you're interested in that, you can sign up for that. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, Good this time. is an awesome shoot. It's worth the drive. I don't care mm -hmm. where you guys are, what state you guys are coming from. Um, this has been going for, what, 20, 30 Th years? 30-some years. Yeah, now. yeah. yeah. Some years, it, yeah. it travels around from Canada to the U.S., and it's uh, going to be a super cool event, and we hope to see lots of you guys there. So you got till June 15th. Talk your friends into it. Talk your neighbors into it. Uh, come on out and uh, shoot some longbows with us at the Longbow Safari. Uh, what else? What's what's new at Addictive Archery? Anything? Not just getting ready for the summer. I've uh, started the remodel in the back of the trailer. So the the we have a, a toy hauler trailer that I've always just kind of hauled everything in the back. Well, now we're actually turning it into it'll be a storefront. So you'll be able to actually go up inside and we'll have stuff on display. And it's just really so that it cuts down on our setup time. So a lot of the the small items will be on display all the time in the back of the trailer, and then we'll still have a couple pop ups. Uh, that'll have our bows and arrows displayed in there. Awesome. Are we still going to be able to use it for a podcast when you get all that going? I think, yeah, we might. working pretty good. We'll, that? we'll that's that where happen. we're at right now. We're sitting, <laughs> we're in there. We're, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, we'll definitely make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, if you guys haven't been checking Andy out on Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, he makes uh, world-class arrows, strings, leather, anything you need. For your traditional archery needs, addictive archery, hit them up. Uh, support our boy, Andy Ponce. <laughs> um, yeah, this was an awesome weekend, and I can't wait for us to all do it again soon. Yeah. So don't forget, keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight. Bam. Frosty before the sun comes up, the geese are on the wing. The deer are fat and happy, no, they don't suspect a thing. I can't take it any longer, I've got to breathe some air. The only cure for what I've got is a week or so out there. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. Get outside.